Part four, chapter sixty eight of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Voluntary Beggar When Zarathustra had left the ugliest man, he was chilled and felt lonesome, for much coldness and lonesomeness came over his spirit, so that even his limbs became colder thereby. When, however, he wandered on and on, up hill and down, at times past green meadows, though also sometimes over wild stony couches, where formerly perhaps an impatient brook had made its bed. Then he turned all at once warmer and heartier again. "'What hath happened unto me?' he asked himself. "'Something warm and living quickeneth me. It must be in the neighborhood. Already am I less alone.' Unconscious companions and brethren rove around me. Their warm breath toucheth my soul. When, however, he spied about and sought for the comforters of his lonesomeness, behold, there were kind there, standing together on an eminence, whose proximity and smell had warmed his heart. The kind, however, seemed to listen eagerly to a speaker, and took no heed of him who approached. When, however, Zarathustra was quite nigh unto them, then did he hear plainly that a human voice spake in the midst of the kine, and apparently all of them had turned their heads toward the speaker. Then ran Zarathustra up speedily, and drove the animals aside, for he feared that someone had here met with harm, which the pity of the kine would hardly be able to relieve but in this he was deceived. For behold, there sat a man on the ground who seemed to be persuading the animals to have no fear of him, a peaceable man, and preacher on the mount, out of whose eyes kindness itself preached. "'What dost thou seek here?' called out Zarathustra in astonishment. "'What do I here seek?' answered he. The same that thou seekest, thou mischief-maker, that is to say, happiness upon earth. To that end, however, I would fain learn of these kine, for I tell thee that I have already talked half a morning unto them, and just now were they about to give me their answer. Why dost thou disturb them? Except we be converted and become as kine we shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. For we ought to learn from them one thing, ruminating. And verily, although a man should gain the whole world, and yet not learn one thing, ruminating, what would it profit him? He would not be rid of his affliction. His great affliction, that, however, is at present called disgust. Who hath not at present his heart his mouth and his eyes, full of disgust. Thou also, thou also, but behold these kine. Thus spake the preacher on the mount, and turned then his own look toward Zarathustra. For hitherto it had rested lovingly on the kine. Then, however, he put on a different expression. Who is this with whom I talk? He exclaimed, frightened, and sprang up from the ground. This is the man without disgust. This is Zarathustra himself, 
the surmounter of the great disgust. This is the eye. This is the mouth. This is the heart of Zarathustra himself. And while he thus spake, he kissed with overflowing eyes the hands of him with whom he spake, and behaved altogether like one to whom a precious gift and jewel hath fallen unawares from heaven. The kine, however, gazed at it all and wondered. "'Speak not of me, thou strange one, thou amiable one,' said Zarathustra, and restrained his affection. "'Speak to me firstly of thyself. Art thou not the voluntary beggar, who once cast away great riches, who was ashamed of his riches and of the rich, and fled to the poorest to bestow upon them his abundance and his heart? But they received him not.' "'But they received me not,' said the voluntary beggar. "'Thou knowest it, forsooth. "'So I went at last to the animals and to those kine.' "'Then learnst thou,' interrupted Zarathustra, "'how much harder it is to give properly than to take properly, "'and that bestowing well is an art, the last subtlest master art of kindness especially nowadays answered the voluntary beggar at present that is to say when everything low hath become rebellious and exclusive and haughty in its manner in the manner of the populace for the hour hath come thou knowest it forsooth for the great evil long slow mob and slave insurrection it extendeth and extendeth now doth it provoke the lower classes all benevolence and petty giving and the over-rich may be on their guard whoever at present drip like bulgy bottles out of all too small necks of such bottles at present one willingly breaketh the necks wanton avidity bilious envy, careworn revenge, populous pride. All these struck mine eye. It is no longer true that the poor are blessed. The kingdom of heaven, however, is with the kine. And why is it not with the rich? asked Zarathustra temptingly, while he kept back the kine which sniffed familiarly at the peaceful one. "'Why dost thou tempt me?' answered the other. "'Thou knowest it thyself better even than I. "'What was it drove me to the poorest of Zarathustra? "'Was it not my disgust at the richest? "'At the culprits of riches, with cold eyes and rank thoughts, "'who pick up profit out of all kinds of rubbish? "'At this rabble that stinketh to heaven, "'at this gilded falsified populace whose fathers were pickpockets or carrion crows or rag pickers with wives compliant lewd and forgetful for they are all of them not far different from harlots populace above populace below what are poor and rich at present that distinction did i unlearn 
then did i flee away further and even further until i came to those kine thus spake the peaceful one and puffed himself and perspired with his words so that the kine wondered anew zarathustra however kept looking into his face with a smile all the time the man talked so severely and shook silently his head thou doest violence to thyself thou preacher on the mount when thou usest such severe words for such severity neither thy mouth nor thine eye have been given thee nor methinketh hath thy stomach either unto it all such rage and hatred and foaming over is repugnant thy stomach wanteth softer things thou art not a butcher rather seemst thou to me a plant-eater and a root-man perhaps thou grindest corn certainly however thou art averse to fleshly joys and thou lovest honey thou hast divined me well answered the voluntary beggar with lightened heart i love honey i also grind corn for i have sought out what tasteth sweetly and maketh pure breath also what requireth a long time a day's work and a mouth's work for gentle idlers and sluggards furthest to be sure have those kind carried it they have devised ruminating and lying in the sun they also abstain from all heavy thoughts which inflate the heart well said zarathustra thou shouldst also see mine animals mine eagle and mine serpent their like do not at present exist on earth behold thither leadeth the way to my cave be to-night its guest and talk to mine animals of the happiness of animals until i myself come home for now a cry of distress calleth me hastily away from thee also shouldst thou find new honey with me ice-cold gold-comb honey eat it now however take leave at once of thy kind thou strange one thou amiable one though it be hard for thee for they are thy warmest friends and preceptors one excepted whom i hold still dearer answered the voluntary beggar thou thyself art good o zarathustra and better even than a cow away away with thee thou evil flatterer cried zarathustra mischievously why dost thou spoil me with such praise and flattery honey away away from me cried he once more and heaved his stick at the fond beggar who however ran nimbly away notes by anthony m ludovici in this discourse we undoubtedly have the ideal buddhist if not gautama buddha himself nietzsche had the greatest respect for buddhism and almost wherever he refers to it in his works it is in terms of praise he recognized that though buddhism is undoubtedly a religion for decadence its decadent values emanate from the higher and not as in christianity from the lower grades of society in aphorism twenty of the antichrist he compares it exhaustively with christianity and the result of his investigation is very much in favor of the older religion still 
he recognized a most decided Buddhistic influence in Christ's teaching, and the words in verses 29, 30, and 31 are very reminiscent of his views in regard to the Christian Savior. The figure of Christ has been introduced often enough into fiction, and many scholars have undertaken to write his life according to their own lights, but few perhaps have ever attempted to present him to us bereft of all those characteristics which a lack of the sense of harmony has attached to his person through the ages in which his doctrines have been taught. Now, Nietzsche disagreed entirely with Renan's view that Christ was, quote, la grande matre and ironie, end quote, in aphorism 31 of the Antichrist. He says that he, Nietzsche, always purged his picture of the humble Nazarene of all those bitter and spiteful outbursts which, in view of the struggle the first Christians went through, may very well have been added to the original character by apologists and secretarians who at that time could ill afford to consider nice psychological points, seeing that what they needed above all was a wrangling and abusive deity. These two conflicting halves in the character of the Christ of the Gospels, which no sound psychology can ever reconcile, Nietzsche always kept distinct in his own mind. He could not credit the same man with sentiments sometimes so noble and at other times so vulgar, and in presenting us with this new portrait of the Savior, purged of all impurities, Nietzsche rendered military honors to a foe which far exceeded in worth all that his most ardent disciples have ever claimed for him. In verse 26, we are vividly reminded of Herbert Spencer's words, quote, The mariage de convenance is legalized prostitution. End, quote. End of Part 4, Chapter 68 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia